It's a long passage, right? You're probably thinking this is going to be the shortest sermon I've ever heard, or he's going to pull some kind of John MacArthur thing where we're going to spend 30 minutes talking about the and and going into the, the Greek roots of everything. No, we're not going to do that. So good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Good? Good? Awesome. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Stephen Atherton. I'm one of the pastors here at WCC, and I'm so excited to be able to open up the Word with you today, continuing on in our One Another series. So for those of you that are new, normally throughout the year we go through entire books of the Bible, and we move verse by verse, and we dissect God's Word to see what He has to say. But every now and then, every now and then, we take a little sidestep, still focusing on the Word, but in the context of specific topics. And that's exactly what we're doing with this one another series that we're going through, and we've been going through the last few weeks, with today's one another being something that I'm extremely passionate about. I'm passionate about this one another because I think it's something that is consistently lacking in modern church today, especially in comfortable churches. That one another being stirring one another up to love and good works. So last year, I made the massive mistake of trading in my Chevy Silverado for another truck. But it wasn't just any truck. It was a lifted Ford F-350 turbo diesel monstrosity of a truck. So I had always wanted a diesel, especially one that looked like super manly, right? Like you want to be rolling down the road and everyone's like, oh, look at that guy. He's so cool. That's what everyone thinks, right? Well, I decided I wanted to make it look even more manly. So I started on the hunt for a big old massive cattle guard because that also says, like, it just screams, like, look at that big truck. Also, cattle guard, cool. So the one I found, it was all kinds of messed up. It was rusted everywhere. It was tweaked, bent in places, you name it. But I decided it was worth it. I wanted to restore it. So I got it home, and I started the restoration process. So I had it all sanded down, looking decent for what it was. And then the rush to get it done, I grabbed the spray paint can, shook it once, and started to spray. As soon as I sprayed it, I immediately regretted my decision. Because a gelatinous goop of a substance came out and it just left globs of messiness. For those of you who have done it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It was just unmixed color and it was just altogether a mass of just nasty. So in my impatience, I again, I was like, okay, whatever. I shook it like twice and I sprayed the can again. And as you can guess, it ended up with the same result. In every can of spray paint, there's just there's a little tiny marble inside. And as you shake the can, that little marble breaks through all of the substances. It smooths it out, and it creates one cohesive substance. But if you fail to shake the can properly, you'll always have the same issue that I did with this project. And that's an uncohesive glob of a mess. So needless to say, I had to completely start over. I had to re-sand the entire guard. And if you've ever tried to sand that like goopy mess that comes out of spray paint, it just gets all over the, the sandpaper, and then you have to start over with 20,000 more pieces of sandpaper. I don't recommend it. It's not great. So the next time, when I restarted, after I had it re-sanded down, ready to go, 
I shook that can as hard as I possibly could a thousand times. It says, like, shake for one minute. I think I shook it for, like, 20 minutes straight. It's like, I'm not. This is not happening again. But when I did that, it made this beautiful, smooth, perfectly colored surface. So this church family, even though it might not seem like it, is a picture of what Scripture calls us to do for one another. And that is to stir one another up to love and good deeds, love and good works. Just like the marble does in the paint can when it's shaken, we stir one another up. When we shake up the can thoroughly to go outside the four walls of the church building, it creates a beautiful, cohesive church, living on mission together, going out, but not just going out, going out for the gospel, going out for the kingdom. But when the church fails to do this, when we live in comfort behind the four walls of a building, not stirring each other up to love and good works, it creates that gelatinous glob that does more damage than it does good. So I have three questions this morning that I want you to think through as we dive in processing this, stirring one another up. The first one being, what is the purpose of stirring people up? Number two, what is the power behind this stirring? And then number three, what is the promise of the stirring? So what's the purpose of it, the power behind it, and the promise behind it? Go ahead and pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for the breath in our lungs. Thank you for just the sunshine and knowing that you are good and you are great and greatly to be praised. I pray as we study your word today, as we open up um, this idea of stirring one another up to love and good works, God, that you would just convict us. God, you would help us see clearly where we stand. God, are we truly doing this, or do we need to be stirred up to go and do this? God, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this morning we have a couple key patches, key passages, that's the word I'm looking for. We have a couple key passages that are going to inform our time together this morning, with the main one driving this concept being that Hebrews 10, 24, that I'll just read again. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Now, considering we just went through the book of Hebrews, I'm sure it's still perfectly fresh in your minds, right? I, I can barely remember what I have for breakfast, let alone the entire book we just went through. So that being said, I'm going to give you a little bit of context for the book of Hebrews. So as we dive into this verse, we'll have a better understanding. So the entirety of the book of Hebrews is a reminder from the author to the Hebrew people, that Jesus is better. This Jesus, the great high priest over all, is better. And in this, the author at times was exhorting the people to remain faithful. Even in the hard times, even in the, the trials, remain faithful. Living their lives for Christ with the ultimate push at the end to run the race of this life with endurance. Run the race of life with endurance, with this incredible knowledge of who Jesus truly is. 
So this verse being highlighted today drops us directly into the middle of this. This is right on the heels of a reminder that Christ died once for all. Then taking us to the next reminder that we have full assurance in faith. And because of this, because of these things, we should consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. So now to fully grasp what the author is trying to relay here, we have to understand what this phrase stir up even means. So according to several sources, this stir up means to cause someone to feel a strong emotion and a desire to do something. A couple other places said to shake up, to inflame, to ignite, to fire up. So I don't know about you, but when I hear these definitions, it makes it seem a whole lot more intense than the way we would originally read it. Because if we change it, it drastically changes the picture that comes to mind. So let's rephrase it. And let us consider how to cause someone to feel strong emotion. Let us consider how to Fire one another up. How to ignite the flame of passion changes it a little bit, doesn't it? Saying it this way evokes emotion. It evokes passion. And this is what we're called to do. This is the stirring up the author in Hebrews is trying to convey here. Now you might be thinking to yourself, well... That's all well and good. But fire each other up for what? Which brings us to the first question I asked at the beginning. What is the purpose of stirring? What's the reason we want to shake that proverbial can? And the answer lies actually in what we heard last week from David, but just from a different angle. So last week, David beautifully and succinctly taught on international missions. He taught on the purpose of it, the heart, and also the thing that makes these types of missions happen, that being the church. The local expression of the body of Christ that sends and supports these men and women. These men and women who desire to see the good news of Jesus Christ shared with unreached people groups. These men and women that have the heart and desire that local reproducing churches can be established in these far-off places. These missionaries with the passion for these other countries, though, are not the end-all, be-all of missions. The church, the local church, here and now, does not have a pass for missions because you're not out in the field. Just because you're not out in a different country doesn't give you a pass. We as believers in the local church are called to missions. Even though we might not be missionaries, we're still sent out. All throughout Scripture, there's a call to live on mission. Not necessarily in the context of being a missionary, because God hasn't wired all of us to do that but to still live on mission nonetheless. Matthew 28, 18 says this. 
And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This call in Matthew 28 is not a call to the few. This is a call to every believer in Christ Jesus. All nations here includes our local context, doesn't it? Windsor, Colorado is a part of the all nations that Jesus called us to go into for the sake of the gospel and the kingdom. But so often, this local expression of the church walks into a building, gives money, as we should, to those overseas, the people like David and his family that so desperate need, desperately need the funds. And honestly, I would encourage you to support them in that way. But from there, we live in our comfortable bubble with our Christian friends, in our Christian groups, at our Christian coffee shops, never engaging the world around us like we're called to do. That's why this passage that we're looking at today is so drastically important. Because it brings out this idea that on our own, in our flesh, this might not be the priority. If we don't have others stirring us and spurring us on, we might not have the desire to move. We're called to stir one another up to loving good deeds good works for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the lost, broken world around us. This is the purpose. Because in our own little bubble, especially the comfortable place that we live, it's so easy to fall into the background. It's so easy to stay in our comfort zone never making moves for God. This is why the phrasing by the author in Hebrews is important. Because this isn't just an action we're called to, this is a fiery action. This is a call to not only encourage one another in this love and good works, but to hype people up as much as you can for them to go out to the point where they can't help not go out. They can't help not pursue the lost world. They want to run into the battle hand in hand with their brothers and sisters to live their lives for Christ. Loving others enough to share the good news with them and loving God enough to do these good works. Ephesians 2.10 says this, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So again, this is action. With the reason for the action brought into play. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good deeds. And in that, we need to fire each other up to go out and do it. We need to set this world ablaze for his glory. We need to set the lost world on fire for Jesus. 
Because when Jesus takes a hold of our heart, we're set apart. We're no longer of this world. We're called to actually be a light in this world. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lampstand to put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine that all may see your good works. All good works done not for the sake of looking better to God or to be a good person. No, it's, it's to give glory to God. And from this, the world is going to see something different. They're going to see that light. Like a moth to a flame, they'll flock to the thing that stands out. They'll flock to the light. With the, with the caveat coming from Hebrews of, to accomplish this, we have to stir each other up. To accomplish this, the can has to be shaken. Chase asked me this week what songs I would want for the sermon, and there's only one thing that I could think of the whole time. It takes me all the way back to VBS, and it's the, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Everyone knows that song, right? But you have to get to the good part of the song. It's the, hide it under a bushel. Thank you. No, I'm going to let it shine. And the, the absolute best part of the song, though, I love it. It gave the opportunity to every kid in VBS to spit on each other. It's don't let Satan it out. Yeah. But all silliness aside, we're called to light up this world. We're called to be salt of the world. Matthew 5.13 says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how is its saltiness to be restored? No longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Sadly, this happens consistently in the church. People lose their saltiness. They're not doing anything. They're not making moves. If you look around, like I said before, this is, in a lot of instances, the case. We see inverted churches hiding behind the security of a building. Then they go out and they live their Christian lives in comfort removing themselves from the world because it might be a little bit hard. Hiding their light so they don't stand out. I don't want those moths flocking to my flame. I'm just going to hide it so no one knows. Just keep it secret. Hiding behind the mask of complacency and fear. It can't be the case. Last week... Josh Breffel and our uh, little collective, we have a preaching collective that we do every week. It's pretty cool. We get to talk to one another and discuss um, what we see in God's Word and the passage that we're going to be preaching. And something he said stood out to me is that we can't be a cul-de-sac. We have to be a thoroughfare. 
We can't just sit in the easy bubble, WCC. We have to burst that bubble, and we do that by firing each other up to do what we're called to do. Love each other enough to push each other as hard as we can to these love and good works for the broken world. So together we can go out. And I can tell you from what Scripture says all over the place, this isn't something that can wait until later. This isn't something that we can just put off until we feel like it. You can't just nonchalantly, ah, maybe tomorrow, maybe I'll do something about it, a different day. Uh, you know what, like six months from now, God, I think that, I think my calendar's free. That's not what it says. This is an urgent call for now. There's an urgency knowing that the day is drawing near. The day with this beautiful thought that those of us that have heard the gospel and believed will get to be with our creator in the day that will be so terrifying for those who have not put their faith and trust in Jesus. This takes us back to Ephesians 2.10 we talked about earlier, but I want to start at verse 1. I think it's really important. Prior to the call to good deeds, which says this, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among who we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Pretty powerful, right? It starts off saying that you were dead in your sins. Dead. The word in the Greek is actually nekros, which means corpse. That's pretty dead, right? I don't feel like you can be much more dead than corpse dead. Prior to Jesus, you were a spiritual corpse. But God, best line in the Bible, but God, in his loving kindness and mercy, made us alive together with Christ, which is doapoieo, which means reanimated conjointly with Christ. For by grace we have been saved because Jesus, God, our Savior, came to this broken place, lived the perfect life, died on the cross being the perfect sacrifice, became the propitiation for our sins, which means he took on the full wrath of God and then three days later rose again. Because of this we are saved and it's the gift of God. 
not by works so no one can boast. We all, prior to Christ, were lost, broken, sinful, in desperate need of a Savior. And it actually says that we followed the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan. So literally, it's prior to Christ, we are following Satan. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And because of this, we desire to do these good works that we've been talking about. To honor the one that saved us, we put our faith and trust in him. We desire to live our lives facing outward because of this. Not inward. And we desire to stir each other on to accomplish this. When we remember what Jesus did for us, we should desire so desperately to share this news with the spiritually dead, corpse-filled world around us. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the root. This is the driving force. This is the end-all, be-all of stirring one another up. And this is also the answer to the second question we talked about. What is the power behind the stirring in that power? is the incredible good news of Jesus. Not only is is the gospel the purpose of the stirring, but it's the complete power for this to be accomplished. The gospel is what drives us and motivates us and empowers us to do this task that we're called to do. The gospel is the marble in the paint can. It's what stirs us up. When the can is shaken, it's the reason everything is mixed. The gospel is the reason for the passion and the fire we're talking about. And it's the power behind the passion. Knowing this and knowing what scripture says, we need to see that we're all called to stir, to spur, and to share. Like we said, this is an urgent call to do it, not tomorrow. You have the truth that sets the captive free. What are you waiting for? And in this context, talking about spurring one another on, stirring one another, this isn't a call for just you alone. This is a call to the church as a whole. To go, to get out there. But don't do it alone. Stir one another up. Hype one another up. Light the hillside ablaze for the lost world. And do it now. Reminds me so much of every battle scene right before the fighters go into battle. And I'm going to pull a Chris Shewitt right now. He used to talk about Lord of the Rings in like every one of his sermons. So that's what it reminds me of is Lord of the Rings, right? You have Aragorn going out there. Front of the front of everybody, and he's getting them ready to go. They're getting ready to go and raid, not raid, battle. Wrong word. So you have this picture of the main leader standing out front, reminding the soldiers of what they're fighting for, reminding them of the truth and the necessity for the battle that they're about to wage. I feel like this is a great illustration 
how we're to call each other to the spiritual battlefield every day. Remind each other of this fight that's at hand. The truth that needs to be shared in the midst of the battle. And the reason for it. So think back to the paint can. When it was shaken, when it was stirred up properly, it was beautiful and it was cohesive. But when it wasn't stirred up, it was messy and caused more damage than good. This is like the church that we're living in today. Either we're living on mission, we're facing outward, or it's the opposite. The unstirred, inverted church that the world sees as a group of unloving, stuck-up individuals living for ourselves, Christians causing more damage than good. You might be thinking, oh, that's all well and good. You just hammered us. Thanks, Stephen. That's great. You might even be a little convicted by the fact that your life might look more inverted. But then you're asking the question, how do you accomplish this then? What are some practical ways here that we together can live this out? And there's so, so many ways. For me, I want to stir people up to loving good deeds by reminding them of the people that they're with, the relationships that they have in their life right here, right now. I want people around me to start seeing their lost loved ones. Start seeing those coworkers around you that might not know Jesus. Or maybe if it's even people you don't like. Like, ah, I can't talk to her. She called me a bad thing sometime. No, it doesn't matter. Think about those people. That's something that I like to do to help stir people up. And I want to push people to engage. I want to push people to go out. Because when they're stirred up, when they're shaken up, when they're powered up by the gospel, the trigger is pushed, the good news goes out. So that's how I like to stir people up, just one of the ways. You could stir someone up by having them go with you out into the world and have a good gospel conversation. They might be nervous about it. Take someone with you. Pump someone up to go and serve others. And by doing that, they're showing them the love of Christ. Encourage others to shine their light. To shake the salt shaker. So many other ways in this. And I think even for myself, like I'm most stirred up in those times that people are pointing me to the relationships out there in the world that I have close contact with. And what am I doing about it? Just this last week, Really awesome, like on the heels of this passage. At our community group, we were talking about perceptions, the way we see people, the way that we, we talk to people, and the way we see uh, non-believers versus believers. And then the conversation shifted to we need to, in those moments, be willing to go out there and share the good news, even with people, even when it's uncomfortable. And that got stuck in my head. And then yesterday... I had a guy from the gym ask me uh, to help him do his backyard, and what, ha what was supposed to be his backyard turned into the backyard and the front yard, and nothing was done. We had to till everything and put all this sod down. I was with him from 7 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. It was a great day yesterday. 
But in all actuality, it was because God gave me that opportunity. And because I was stirred up by my group and I was thinking about it and it was on the forefront of my mind, I got to share the gospel with the guy. And we had a great conversation about what he believes and, and where there's church hurt. And it was just, it was really cool to see God work in that. Because I was stirred up by others, God's good news went out. What's even more incredible about this is that there is a promise behind the stirring. This is number three. There's a promise. Isaiah 55, 10 through 11. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but the water, water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and the bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but I shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Guys, God's word never returns void. There's a promise that in the stirring, in the spurring, in the going out from this, from the power of the gospel, God will use it for his glory. But no matter which way you stir up, no matter how you go out, if you do it, God will use it. Knowing this encouraging thought, we can start to process through the different places we can go to do this. Thinking through the lens of the places that we live, learn, work, and play. These are areas that we as the church have impact and should be stirring each other to go to outside of these four walls. One of the first ones that comes to mind is what Josh is doing through reality sports and what he's going to be discussing in his seminar coming up in a couple weeks. Josh is going to be bringing into play what our lives should look like regarding sports as believers. Living life on mission in the realm of sports. Utilizing something that the world sees as so drastically important to point them to the one that is the most important. So thinking through this lens, it can help to inform the areas that we should be living our lives on display for the gospel. As we stir one another up to love and good works by the power of the gospel, remembering his word will not come back void, running into the battle in these places for the gospel, remember the urgency here. The urgency to stir up for the sake of the spiritually dead world. For the sake of this good news of Jesus Christ that is the purpose and the power. For the sake of the kingdom and the sake of the honor and the glory of our God. Bring me back to the initial questions we talked about at the beginning. What is the purpose of the stirring? And that would be the good news of Jesus Christ. What is the power of the stirring? And again, that is the gospel. And then there's the promise that as we do this, his word will not come back void. The church family shake the paint can, (laughs) mixed by the gospel, sprayed out for the sake of the lost world with the outcome of people knowing Christ and a beautiful, cohesive church with a promise that will never come back void. 
God, again, we just thank you for this time. God, thank you that we can see in your word the necessity and the urgency to go out, but also, God, that we need each other. God, we need each other to go out, to stir each other up to go out, and I pray that you would help each and every one of us to do that, to think about that, to think about the people in our lives that need you so desperately. God, we love you and we praise you. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name.